You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Okay. Um, as Rena said, we're all above average. And, uh, including Rick. <laughs> um, I'd also like to thank Litquake for recognizing that uh, fantasy is, in fact, literature. And um, I'd like to thank um, Tachyon for inspiring this event and sponsoring this event and bringing the authors here to sort of outline or give an introduction or perhaps a an overview of what epic fantasy can do in the flesh. So let's begin just uh, with the reading, and then we'll have a break, and then we'll schmooze with our authors. So without further ado, uh, I'd like to introduce the first of our three authors, who's staked out a particular territory um, called steampunk, steampunk fantasy, with a series called The Society of Steam, I think um, his first books are The Falling Machine and The Hearts Hearts of Smoke and Steam. His third book is not out yet, but perhaps he's going to read from it tonight. Um, I'm not quite sure. Power Power Under Pressure is book three. Okay. It'll be out in January. At any rate, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Andrew P. Mayer. Thanks very much. Um, so I'm trying to find some, I have plenty of particularly epic scenes in my book, so I was trying to find something that would fit. Um, I could read from book three. I think I'm gonna read something from book two, however, because one, it's out, and two, it doesn't give, it, while both of them give away big secrets, at least this one gives away one I don't mind giving away so much. Um, so the scene that I'm gonna read um, occurs just after um, in, in the book where there's a big battle on um, a ferry, the ferry that goes between, this is, the Brooklyn Bridge isn't finished yet, so, um, at that time, this book, uh, the story takes place in 1880 in New York City, so the ferry was the best way to get from uh, the city of Brooklyn to the city of New York, because they weren't one big city at the time. Lots of history for that. So they had a big fight on the, on the boat, and the, at the end of the fight, they've been taken up to the airship that, uh, because it's, you know, uh, it's steampunk, I have to have an airship. However, not a Zeppelin, no Zeppelins in 1880. These are large, this is a large balloon, and uh, the fight's going up towards, and they've been, uh, they've, ridden up on a, on a harpoon that's taken them up to the ship, and uh, the couple, um, Emilio and Sarah, have been separated when the harpoon was finished its zip up and only one of them could make it into the hole of the ship. Um, if the hole in the nose of the airship was any larger than Sarah herself, it wasn't by much. She hugged herself to the, sh- I'm little she hugged herself to the shaft of the harpoon as tightly as she could, willing herself to be as small as possible, but it would only take the slightest brush of metal against flesh to peel her off the shaft and send her broken body tumbling down. As she passed through from light into darkness, she felt the pressure against her shoulder, but she felt a pressure against her shoulder, but there was no flash of pain or damage. Her eyes popped open as the spear began to tilt upwards, her feet sliding off from the small flange as she had been standing on. She tried to hold on, but her arms, already tired, could no longer hold her as she swung back downwards. Sarah was falling through the air, and worse, she was dropping directly back towards the hole she had come through. The idea that she could have made it this far only to end up falling back out of the ship was as ridiculous as it was likely. 
She slammed into the hull at the edge of the void, her legs crashing into the metal sheeting of the deck with a bang while her torso hung over the open space. I actually did this with stairs so I could make it work. Um, for the first instant, she was too stunned by the fall to react. It was all she could do to try and hold herself in place and not slip out of the ship. Cold air rushed by her face, the wind clutching at her like a thousand pairs of tiny hands, all of them intent on dragging her outside. As she slid forward, Sarah realized just how precarious a position this shoe was truly in. Only the weight of her legs was keeping her from sliding out of the ship, and it was only just enough. Sarah felt Wickham's mask dangling down from around her neck, blowing and twisting in the breeze as she slipped slowly forward with every breath. If she was going to pull herself to safety, she had to do it quickly. Her hands reached behind her, scrabbling for a purchase against the smooth metal of the deck, but her thick gloves, so useful for punching villains, were unable to find any grip. Desperate for any way to drag herself back from the edge, she clamped her fingers tightly around the sides of the hole. Her gloved fingers slipped off as she pulled, but with concerted effort, she was able to shove herself backwards until the daylight slid out of view. Sarah rolled over onto her back and fought back the rising urge to be sick by taking a few deep breaths. Above her, she saw the tip of the harpoon she had ridden up into the ship. It was safely locked back into, locked back into the cruel-looking device that had been used to launch it against the ferry, ready for its next moment of mayhem. The harpoon launcher itself was massive, easily twice as long as the shaft it launched, but the springs, gears, and other mechanisms were all exposed, the large mainspring locked back into place. She wondered who had invented it. Thinking of the spear reminded Sarah of Emilio, and she said little, a little prayer for him, hoping that he had managed to make it on board as well. Underneath her, Sarah could feel the wind thrumming and rattling against the metal of the hull. The surface was cold and hard, and something was sticking uncomfortably into her, into her back. When she sat up to look around her environment, she saw that there were hinges on either side of the floor that she had landed on. What had been bruising her was a latch. She looked down and saw this entire floor was actually a hatch, held closed by a mechanism that seemed uncomfortably frail. She stood up, but was still forced to hunch over. The space was dark and stuffed with machinery. The walls just large enough to allow someone to slip around to work the devices while the ship was flying, if the need arose. She headed towards the back of the ship. With every step, the ship's engines and the hum of the propellers became louder and louder. Without warning, it lurched beneath, underneath her feet. Sarah's head banked painfully against a metal rod hanging from the ceiling in front of her. At the bottom of it were a series of mirrors that twisted back and forth, focusing on a porthole cut into the floor of the ship. It was obviously a viewing system of some kind. The mirror is designed to carry the image up to another part. She moved, hoping that whoever was responsible for controlling the craft hadn't seen her face reflected in them. I'm going to skip forward there. Um, Sarah had almost, um, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to give, skip to the part where she gets to the hatch. When she reached the hatchway, she carefully poked her head up through it. The new space was gloomy, but not too dark, as there were glass plates sealed into the walls at regular angles, regular intervals. It was also larger than she had imagined, the dimensions of a good-sized ballroom. The gas bag rose up through the center of the room, the thick canvas curving from the floor to form a broad, sloping ceiling above them. Her eyes continued to adjust as she peered around, and with a shock, she saw the squat form of a man standing right behind her. Before she could dive back down, a pair of rough hands grabbed her shoulders and yanked her up. Her knees banked painfully against the edge of the hatch as the stranger pulled her through. Sarah found, found herself flung out against the wall of the ship, essentially a series of metal struts laid against the, some kind of treated canvas. The wall rose up and held onto the bag with a series of rope hooks that were laced through the grommets that had been stitched into the canvas. She looked at the man who had thrown her and saw a familiar smile. Look what we have here. I'm not going to do accents. Look what we have here. This is, but this, he's an Irishman. Look at what we have here. It's a flying rat. The bomb lance had removed his frame and was holding some kind of gun in his hand. The weapon looked complicated, but the shining metal barb that stuck out of the business end of it sent a simple enough message. He smiled when he noticed Sarah looking at it. Did you bring your special gun as well, girlie? Sarah could feel the weight of the useless weapon in the, back, in the pocket of her coat. Yes, she said meekly. She'd come all the way up here to try and stop this man, only to be taken prisoner by, by him within minutes of her arrival. Murphy laughed and turned to speak to someone who couldn't see. Look at her, Monsieur. You'd think that such a little mouse could you wouldn't think that such a little mouse could be so dangerous, but she managed to knock down both myself and Lord Escaton. Size she is not important, 
said a voice from within the darkness. Sarah turned to this, this the, the villain here is a Frenchman with a lisp because I couldn't just have a Frenchman. I had to, <laughs> I had to, I had to double it up. Um, Sarah turned to look for the man that the bomb lance had referred to as Monsieur. She saw his silhouette at the other end of the gondola and realized that by calling her, li by calling her little, Murphy was having a joke at the other man's expense. The man was tiny, perhaps an inch or two shorter than she was. He hunched over in a way that made him appear to be somewhat of advanced age. I'm not unaware of the barbs of the bomb lance, the man spoke, the man spoke with a heavy French accent and a lisp. Even so, he punctuated his words with sarcasm. But you should always remember who it is constructed your new harness. As he stepped into the light, Sarah, this is, this is the superhero part, I had to get that in there. As he stepped into the light, Sarah was shocked to see just how old the Frenchman truly was. His hair was pure white and stuck out from his head in thick tufts, revealing patches of bright pink skin underneath. His shoulders were deeply drooping, and his hand clutched a cane, which he leaned against heavily. She could just make out underneath his fingers that the head of the cane was a silver globe. His eyes were covered by a pair of thick spectacles held in place by a leather cord. His clothes were bunched and ill-fitting on his withered frame, a strange mix of a leather apron, suspenders, and thick rubber boots. There was also a large belt strapped around his waist from which hung a variety of tools and gadgets, some of them familiar, others twisted and stranged. strange. The wizened, fi the wizened figure walked over to her with an odd gait that landed firmly between a hobble and a run, as if he were in a terrible hurry, even though, the, even though he was constantly on the verge of falling over. The cane banged on the metal deck with every step, and the object attached to his belt jingled as they swayed. After each movement, he had to pause as he pushed his cane out in front of him before taking another step forward. When he had covered half the distance between them, between himself and Sarah, the wizened figure stopped and yelled back in the direction he had come from. Francis, please bring the ship around. Oui, oui, monsieur. When she, followed, when she followed the source of the noise, Sarah saw that there was a large platform in the front of the room that sat high off the floor in front of a large glass window. Numerous panels, handles, and the dials sprouted up from the deck to form a control panel in front of the ship's operator. Um, from his accent, Francis was clearly American, although the French theme was continued in the large silver brocade patch and the fleur-de-lis sewn into the arm of his white shirt. Bon, the old man replied and turned his eyes back to Sarah. So, little girl, what is it that you thought you would accomplish by invading my airship? And where, may I ask, is your friend who caused Mr. Murphy so much trouble down below? I honestly don't know, Sarah replied. The bomb lance narrowed his eyes and waved his gun menacingly. Watch it there, girlie. You're full of tricks, but I'll skewer, I'll skewer you before I let you put any more holes in me or blow me around again with that gun of yours. Sarah ignored the Irishman and took a, small, took a small curtsy in the direction of the old man. We haven't been properly introduced, Monsieur. My name is Sarah Stanton. Ah, yes. Well, you must forgive Mr. Murphy, madame. He has been wended incapable of manners by an unfortunate act of birth. The Frenchman bowed his head slightly. You can call me Le Voyageur. He took another step closer to her and slowly examined her with his eyes. But this costume, he lifted his cane and pointed it at her. You fancy yourself a hero? Murphy chuckled. She thinks she's a paragon like a father. His reply was as loud, as angry as he could muster, and his voice quivered as he spoke. I did not ask you, you Irish simpleton. I asked her. I call myself the adventurous, the Frenchman laughed. While everything else about the man was ancient, his laughter still had a haughty, mocking quality of a schoolyard bully. Oh, I'm sure your father must be very proud of you. Sarah could feel her cheeks blushing with a mix of shame and anger, but knew she would need to stop herself from responding to the taunts. And now you have nothing to, and now you have nothing to say. Maybe that is good, since I need you to tell me where the heart of your mechanical man is. I assume you did bring it with you. Sarah breath, Sarah's breath caught in her throat. She had left Tom's heart back on the boat with Emilio's sister. And if the woman's brother hadn't survived the journey, how would she ever find her again? It's still on the ferry, she replied. That is unfortunate. Lord Escaton would be very disappointed if we do not bring back his prize. He closed his eyes and slowly rocked back and forth on his cane. When he opened them again, there was a smile on his lips. I am sorry if I am being rude, but now, young lady here, the time has come for us to say goodbye. Francis, if you could be so kind, I think Mr. Murphy may need your help escorting this young lady off of my airship. She opened her eyes wide. What? They see on Noah as an attack ship, not a passenger craft. 
You are not invited, and I have discovered you have nothing I want. In fact, my dear girl, I think that everyone would be most pleased that you have been taken care of. The Frenchman grabbed a nearby lever and gave it a good pull. Down at the far end of the gondola, a trap door fell open. As it slammed into place, a set of stairs and a railing sprung up from the flat surface, locking into place with a sharp snap. When she was younger, Sarah had spent a great deal of time imagining how she would react when facing a maniacal villain bent on her destruction. In her fantasies, she had always seen herself facing death with a calm dignity that would leave a lasting impression on her enemies, possibly with a clever quip to show how utterly unafraid she was. It would be important that they realize just how futile their actions had been when she somehow managed to miraculously escape. Now that the moment was actually here, however, the clever, clever words she was so sure would come easily to her were nowhere to be found. I can tell you where the heart is, she said meekly. Had she really given up so easily? What would stop them from killing her once they got what they wanted? What was that, my dear? The old man said, making a grand gesture of putting his hand to his ear. I'm afraid I could not hear you begging for your life. Murphy stepped forward and roughly grabbed his hands. You should save your breath, girlie. That old piece of gristle's got no mercy left in him, and it doesn't matter. If we couldn't take the heart, we were supposed to sink the ship and find it later. For a moment, Sarah thought she had actually, he might actually be showing a moment of mercy himself until he spun her around and pulled her arms tightly and painfully behind her back. And this ship is more than capable of sinking a little fairy every, with everyone aboard. Sarah wanted to scream at the old man, call him insane and a fool. But she also knew that villains were most likely to respond to accusations and threats with maniacal laughter. And the voyager, it seemed to her, would be exactly the kind of man to do that sort of thing. Instead, she kept quiet, biting her lip and trying to figure a way out of her fate. The Irishman was far stronger than she was, and her grease-covered shoes were already sliding across the deck as she tried to resist. Her only hope, it seemed, rested in the hands of Emilio, a man most likely dead. But her despair was washed away in a wave of nausea when the entire floor shuddered. As the metal decking twisted and buckled, she realized just how delicate the construction of this ship really was. And Sarah wasn't alone. She could see that the old Frenchman had been unpleasantly surprised. Francis, she yelled, he yelled up to the man in the control room. What is going on? From somewhere below them came the sound of metal grinding against metal. Something's wrong with the engines. We're losing pressure. The burly engineer grabbed the railings that led from the control room to the gondola floor and slid down in a single bound. I'll go take a look. Be careful, Murphy said. This one, he said spitefully, and shook Sarah's arms. Didn't come up here alone, and that giddy may still be crawling around down there somewhere. I'll be careful, Francis replied with a smile and held up a brutish-looking wrench. Reaching the far end of the room, the engineer reached out and pulled up another hatch on the floor. As he lifted it, a pair of hands shot up from the hole and grabbed his ankle, yanking Francis forwards and throwing him off balance. He landed on the metal decking hard enough to send out a ringing sound across the gondola, along with an audible uh, as the air was forced out from his lungs. It was it was, next was a strangled cry of pain as the hatch crashed back down onto the engineer's knee knees. Yuvelano si sta, Emilio said as he shoved open the hatch and bounded on the deck. Francis made a feeble grab for him as he walked by, but he was too slow, and Emilio danced out of the way, followed it up with a kick for a good measure. There you are, the Irishman said with a low rumble of satisfaction. Let her go, Emilio replied. He's Italian, but I'm not going to do that accent. Um, Let her go, Emilio replied with a tone of cool seriousness <coughs> in his voice, his words calm and clear. All right, lad. The villain gave Sarah a brutal shove that set her stumbling across the gondola until she crashed painfully into the metal frame of the wall. Sarah stood up to see, if this testing the, to see if the sensation of her entire chest having caved into her body was genuine or simply a side effect of the burning pain that she was feeling. Come on, boy, she heard Murphy saying behind her as she tried to steady herself. Let's see what you're made of. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.